today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. And if we have that attitude, if we have that hope and that anticipation in our life, and if we're open to the Spirit of God to work in our lives, He can use each one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our education, regardless of our training, regardless of our economic situation. God is more than willing, and as a matter of fact, He desires to use each one that He calls into His kingdom for His glory. Every one of us have a calling, a variety of callings, no doubt. But the common thing that each one of us have is the truth that God has called us into his kingdom for purpose. Are we open to taking correction from our leaders? In today's message from Pastor David, he teaches us that those who are opposed to correction within the body are toxic, like cancer. Those within the church who want to do what they want and when they want are actually moving against the body of Christ. We need to serve in ways that move with the body of Christ and learn to receive correction from our leaders. Remember, as you serve this week, to come humbly and open to receiving correction. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, Call for the Task. There's some of you that are here this morning that have a calling on your life. As a matter of fact, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You have a calling on your life. Each one of us, again, as we come before the Lord, as we take that opportunity to seek his face and his direction in our life, we have to understand that God has a calling for us. And that calling is is various in in, in tremendous ways. Some of the callings are are harder than others. I understand that. Some of the directions and the journeys that God leads you through your life, man, it's difficult. Some of the callings in life are more exciting than others. And perhaps, again, the Lord is using you in ways that, again, you could have never imagined outside of him. Some of you also, unfortunately, are going in circles, You never seem to be advancing. And while others are making leaps and bounds in their faith and in the calling of God in their life. And all of that, beloved, depends upon your understanding that, yes, God has called me into his kingdom for a purpose. It's not just to fill a seat in a local church, but he's called me into his kingdom for his purposes, for his kingdom's sake. And if we have that attitude, if we have that hope and that anticipation in our life, and if we're open to the spirit of God to work in our lives, he can use each one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our education, regardless of our training, regardless of our economic situation, God is more than willing, and as a matter of fact, he desires to use each one that he calls into his kingdom for his glory. Every one of us have a calling, a variety of callings, no doubt, 
But the common thing that each one of us have is the truth that God has called us into his kingdom for purpose. He's done it for purpose. It was early in the first century, the early part of the second half of the first century, that a man who used to be known as Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a a, a zealot of sorts. Now he's known as the Apostle Paul, and it's during this time, around 62 to 65 AD, that he writes a couple of letters. He's been working with two men who were students of his, disciples of his that had traveled with him, two men that we could look at, we would call them today protégés of the Apostle Paul, these two young men that Paul has, again, as he's brought them under his wing, he knows that God has a calling in each one of these men's lives. The one young man, he was half Jew and half Gentile. He was converted to Christianity, being raised up in the Christian faith by his mother and his grandmother. His name was Timothy. We've been studying the books of First and Second Timothy for a while now. And we know that for Timothy, again, God had a call on his life as he followed the Apostle Paul, as Paul poured into his life, and now Paul had sent him on to Ephesus. The other man was a Gentile convert to Christianity. We don't know a whole lot about his earlier life, a young man by the name of Titus. When we look at these, both of these men had traveled with, they had ministered right alongside the Apostle Paul for a number of years. And the Apostle Paul made a powerful impact on their lives. There's no doubt about that. And now as the Apostle is is aging, he's sent these two men out in, in different areas of ministry, similar yet different in so many ways, separate ministry positions, distinct positions of service, and God is going to use both of these men, and that's why Paul writes to them. Timothy was sent out to pastor a church there in Ephesus or to be an overseer of a multitude of churches in the huge major city of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the major cities of its day. As a matter of fact, for the Roman Empire at one point in time, it was the Asian capital of the Roman Empire. One of the problems with Ephesus was is that it was filled filled with pagan and cultic worship. You couldn't hardly turn around in the city of Ephesus without seeing some little statue or some little token of of worship or honor to the variety of gods that they had in Ephesus. But the main god, the main one that they worshiped, actually a goddess by the name of Artemis or Diana, they had a huge, huge temple there. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, the temple to Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's how impactful these pagan and these cultic practices were in that huge metropolitan area of Ephesus. And Timothy was called to minister the hope of the gospel in the midst and the surroundings of all this cultic, all this pagan worship. Titus, on the other hand, he had been set to set things in order on on an island, uh, an island by the name of Crete. And Crete was located just east of Greece. It was at the south end of the Aegean Sea, and where the Aegean Sea met the huge Mediterranean Sea, there was this island of Crete. Not a very big island. It was about 150 miles long and about 35 miles at its widest. It's probably, oh gosh, if you go from the north end of Phoenix to the very south end of, of Tucson, the island would have been about that long. And the width of it, again, about from here to the airport up in Phoenix was the width. Not a huge island, but within that island, there was a multitude of of cities there. 
The cities and the islands there in Crete serviced the Roman legions. There were several outposts on the Isle of Crete, but also the shipping industry quite often would pull in and port or dock there on the island of Crete. Again, we look at Crete and we understand both biblically and historically that the the island and the inhabitants of the island, they actually didn't have a very good reputation with the rest of the world at all. One of the things that we can surmise both from the context of what Paul writes, but also from the historians of the day, is that uh, as, as one writer says, the Cretans suffered from an attitude of weakness. There was something within their lives that, again, they were not strong of moral character. Can we put it that way? There was a lot of things within their lives that just pulled them down. Polybius, a, a Greek historian, he, he described them as very revolutionary in spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that they were looking to, to move forward in a revolutionary way. No, it just meant that they revolted against everything. Uh, they were just that kind of a people. As a matter of fact, they, they say that they had a real problem with authority there on the Isle of Crete. And Some have said that the Cretan Christians, even themselves, because they had grown up in that culture, they they probably had a very difficult time of ridding themselves of this uh, self-willed disposition that the people of Crete were known to have. What we do see is that both Timothy and Titus went to these two various differing uh, ministry positions, They went there where actually the work had had already begun. The churches had already been established as Paul sent Timothy into Ephesus and Titus to Crete. They'd been established, but again, there was a major job ahead of each one of these men, each one, though, with differing circumstances. About the same time that the Apostle Paul wrote the first letter to Timothy that we've looked at over these last few months, he also wrote this letter to Titus, and that's where we're at this morning. the New Testament, the small little three-chapter book of Titus, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus. Now, Titus, when you look at it and you compare it to the letter of 1 Timothy, Titus almost becomes like the Reader's Digest version of 1 Timothy. Many of the same things that are spoken of in 1 Timothy are spoken of in Titus, but in a much shorter way, fewer words used in Titus. We know, according to Luke's account there in the book of Acts, that there were Jews from the island of Crete in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Lord poured his spirit out. And remember that the multitude of people from a variety of nations that were there and they heard and, and saw what was going on in the upper room as, the, again, God poured his spirit out upon the apostles. And they thought that, again, these men were drunk. And Peter came out and said, no, we're, we're definitely not drunk. But what's going on here is what the Lord spoke through Joel the prophet the Spirit of God being poured out. And Peter had an opportunity to be able to share the hope of the gospel with these people from a multitude of nations, and among them were some of those from Crete. The word tells us that many, literally thousands, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on that day, on that day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem. And among those were those that had come from the Isle of Crete. Now, if that took place, as we understand, around 33 to 35, AD. We look here and the writing or the placement of Titus serving and ministering on the island of Crete is actually taking place somewhere about 30 years later in the early 60s, 63, 64, 65 AD. 
So as Titus comes to the Isle of Crete, the church has possibly already been established by some of those Jews who had come to a saving knowledge in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, gone back home and continued to learn and to grow in their understanding of what, again, the hope of Christianity, the hope of the gospel, the reality of the cross was all about. So we can look and we can understand the church had been established, but Paul sends Titus there for a specific purpose. He says, Titus, Go and get things in order. I think that for 30 years, the church had been there and just kind of struggling and and going its way. And they were probably doing a lot of things that were out of order, a lot of things that were just really confusing. They were still in the midst of the Roman culture. And though it wasn't filled as much and as powerfully with the cultic worship and the display of of the pagan religions as Ephesus was, still within that culture in Crete, there was a job that needed to be done. And the Lord called Titus to go there and do that work. Now, to go and and to begin ministering at a place where there's already a church, that might sound really exciting. To be able to go, man, the the foundation has already been laid. But the thing that we have to remember, man, this is now 30 years. They've been doing it pretty much on their own. We don't know how much other impact any of the other apostles or the strength or the truth of of how the apostles were laying out the church were going. So now Titus comes in as, as an outsider to the island of Crete, he comes in as a young man. He comes in as a representative of the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, you need to understand that that task was probably difficult to say the least, particularly when we look at what Paul writes to Titus. So let's look together at just that opening paragraph there in, in Titus chapter one. Hopefully you've got your Bibles with you. You can follow along with me. Now, as Paul writes this, yes, he addresses it to Titus, but you also need to understand that this letter is going to go out to the full church. The the whole church is probably going to see or hear this letter. And so he writes, he writes, beginning verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, and has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the command of God, our Savior. Now, there's two things that I think that Paul makes pretty clear right in the opening remarks. Number one, he was a doulos. That's the Greek word for the bondservant. He was a bondservant of God, but also He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. There was that calling, that particular calling and that authority upon his life. There's no doubt about the word that Paul uses for a bondservant, for who he was, that word doulos, the pure translation of that was the slave. He was the slave of God. He understood that. He knew that. Definition of the word brings about this whole idea of ownership by someone else, being completely dependent upon your owner for your very existence. And Paul fully understood that. He knew that when he came to Christ, that he was completely surrendered to the will and to the plan and the purposes of God in his life. Paul understood that, that he was owned literally by the Lord himself. And here he he describes himself as the bond servant of God. Well, do you know that elsewhere he also describes himself as the bondservant of Jesus Christ? So which is it, Paul? 
Are you the bondservant of God or are you the bondservant of Jesus Christ? Well, I think it's pretty clear. Paul understands, man, the deity of Christ. If you're a bondservant of Christ, you are a bondservant of God. Because again, one and the same, the deity of Christ. Hey, Paul, I believe, understood fully that theological truth. Now, here he comes under the lordship of the Lord. He is also a representative of the kingdom of Christ. He is a representative, just as we've spoken about before, that every one of us have that call of apostle. Small a, not capital A, small a. We are called to be representatives of God's kingdom in the culture that we live. He recognized his call as both a representative and also a messenger to the world that was around him. But he also knew that he had that office of apostleship upon him. And with that office came a greater responsibility and a greater authority to be able to speak and to be able to act on behalf of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, the latter part of verse 1 it unfortunately has a bad translation in the King James Version and in the New King James Version. The New King James, as I'm reading this morning, says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords to godliness. That word that's translated according actually comes from the Greek word kata. Now, it has a variety of translations, and understand that. But in the context of this letter and in the context of what Paul is saying, the translators could have and I believe should have used other possibilities in that word. And actually various and assorted other Bible translations do use a different translation for it. They say that again, his calling both as a bondservant and as an apostle is actually not according to, but for the faith of God's elect or to further the faith of God's elect. Paul had been made an apostle to encourage and to build up God's elect, to further them in their growth, to to grow them up in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. His apostleship, it wasn't compared to the faith or, or being supported by the faith. So that word according, unfortunately, gives a kind of a difficult understanding there. But to know, no, he was called for and because to be able to minister and to bless those who are in faith as God's elect. Paul assures them here in this passage, again, of that hope. You know, when we are called in, into Christ, our calling in Christ, into the kingdom of Christ, we are called in to hope and we are called to grow in our faith. He does not call us into his kingdom to say, hey, 20 years ago, I came to a saving knowledge of Christ. I am saved and it's a done deal and that's that. And now I sit and I wait for my eternal glory. No, he's called us to again, pursue the things of Christ and to grow in the things of Christ and to be used for the glory of Christ. As children of God, God has placed within each of us not only that call, but that call with a blessed hope. What is that hope? It's as he says here in verse two. He says, it is the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Now, if I came to you guys this morning, And I said, hey, listen, I've just decided out of the kindness of my heart, though none of you deserve it, I've decided I'm going to give each one of you $20,000 next Sunday. You come up next Sunday, amen, I'm gonna get a great following. Uh, The problem is, is most of you say, yeah, right. Because you know, the guy probably doesn't have $20,000 even himself, and he's gonna try and give every one of us $20,000. 
The fact is, there's nothing to base that hope on, is there? You see, because I don't have the resources to fulfill the promise that I've made to you. But you see, God has fullness of the resources to fulfill all of his promises to us. The hope of eternal life, which God himself, who cannot lie, has promised us before time. Beloved, that is a hope we can hold on to. Because God has that ability, he has that resource to fulfill his promise. That promise of eternal life comes from God who is not only he is faithful, but more than that, he is able, and even more than that is he cannot lie. He's faithful, he's able, he cannot lie. That's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter six says, it is impossible for God to lie. As a matter of fact, Albert Barnes, a a New Testament commentator, he writes this. He says, the fact that God cannot lie, that it is his nature always to speak the truth, and that no circumstances can ever occur that would cause him to depart from it, that's the foundation of all of our hopes of salvation. It's not your ability to stay right. It's not your ability to hold on to the hand of Jesus. It is the power and the faithfulness and the resources of God himself who cannot lie, who has promised you eternal life. And guys, that's the hope that's ours. That's the strength that's ours. That's what ought to, again, encourage us and strengthen us in our walk in him. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us that God has been working on that promise. He made that promise, actually, before time even began. That means before you were born, God made that promise. That means that before Adam and Eve sinned, he had made that promise. Even before creation took place, before time began. That's the eternality of our God, who, again, over all things, is able to fulfill and to complete his promises. Guys, he foreknew the problem that you and I would have with sin. He also preordained the solution of our sin. John, in the book of Revelation, he says, I looked and behold, one that looked as a lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Jesus wasn't just crucified around 33 AD. No, in the mind and the heart and the purpose of God, his crucifixion took place before time even began. Because the problem of our sin, God foreknew and he understood. And he promised us the opportunity, the availability of eternal life before time began. And he says, and now in these last days, he's using the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching to manifest or to make known his word. He, he doesn't do it by angelic messengers. Oh, yeah, he's done it before. And yeah, every, every, every once in a while you may hear somebody that testifies, man, an, an angel spoke to me. We, we see even now over in the Middle East, again, supernatural conversions of, of Muslims who, who are going to Mecca or going to the mosque or going into their prayer times. And suddenly an angel of the Lord or the Lord himself appears to them in a dream. And just again, suddenly, man, the, the reality and the truth and the hope of the gospel is made known to them. We know that that does happen. But primarily the major way that God makes his will known and is directed to the people is through the foolishness of preaching. 
plays such an important role in our daily decisions. It guides our steps, pointing us toward the paths God knows are best for us. But do we allow it to deeply impact our lives? Pastor David has been encouraging us and challenging us to not only learn the scriptures, but allow them to permeate every part of us. We're blessed to be a part of that in your life with this study in Titus, and we hope that you'll join us again right here on The Open Word. Knowing God's Word is important, as is prayer and fellowship with other believers. All of these build a solid foundation of faith from which we can grow and share the love our Father has for us. If you have yet to find and begin attending a church in your area, we hope you'll do it soon. With that in mind, Pastor David has a special invitation. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and also 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. You can find directions and a little bit more about our church by visiting theopenword.com. At the bottom of the page, you'll find a link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Click on that link and it'll bring you to the church homepage. We're excited to have you as a part of our time in Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at our site, you'll be able to listen to additional messages from Pastor David. Plus, find out more about the ministry of The Open Word. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to join us again to keep learning the Bible with Pastor David and The Open Word.